This is the Evolution Exchange podcast, a channel that connects some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I'm Andy. I help connect businesses with the best UX and UI freelance talent. And today I'm your host. We've got another great topic lined up today and some great guests with some more great questions. So the topic that we're going to be discussing today is why a company's success is only as good as their team. So to introduce our guests, we've got Thomas, who's a CEO at Wazda AB. We've got Ben, who's a creative director at Plan A Collective. Philip, who's a producer at Wooga, and Tom, who's an associate art director at Splash Damage. Before we go into some of our questions today, we're going to start off with some introductions. So, Thomas, please could you kick us off first with your introduction? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, obviously, my name is Thomas. Uh, I'm the CEO and founder of, of Worcester, uh, which is a, for the lack of a better phrase, a multi, multifunctional social gaming platform. So basically a modern social media, a modern social platform for the gaming industry and gaming consumers, uh, primarily focused on the next generation of gamers. So the new and amazing generation that's coming up after myself, because I'm starting to get old. Uh, and uh, obviously for the, the people that affect the trends and shape our culture and uh, the creators communities um, as well. So everything from game makers to other creatives who who have a, a need to express themselves. Uh, other than that, my background is in tech and gaming. I've been in gaming since I was a kid. Obviously, I love games since I was yay tall. Technically, I'm still yay tall uh, compared to the CMO because he's 207, I think. Uh, legitimately told. Um, and since then I worked in, in sales, I did business to business, corporate mergers and acquisitions, and then sales executive and did that path before I started making my own companies. So that's the brief, brief version. My job is quite simple. It's just try to get a team of extraordinary people to move in the same direction. Amazing. Thank you so much. Well, yeah, great topic to, to be on as well um, for your sort of position. So uh, Ben, please, could you introduce yourself for us? All right. My name is Ben Bauer. I'm the great director for Plan A Collective. We are a remote co-dev company who takes care of anything design, art, programming related topics, animations, whatnot, whatever you need. Uh, we are there for you. Um, my background's similar. I'm doing the job since over 20 years. Um, started as a level designer for Far Cry 1, the very first one for PC. There a lot of mod community stuff back then for Duke Nukem and Quake 1, 2, 3 back then. Um, since then, I worked on both Crisis, Crisis Warhead. Um, then I switched over to Ubisoft um, as a director for um, Splinter Cell Blacklist. Worked on all kind of Far Cry's from Primal to Far Cry 5 and Far Cry 6 in UB Berlin. Um, a big focus, obviously, level design is my big background, but leadership and design becoming more and more into the focus. All right. Perfect. Thank you very much, Ben. Uh, Philip, please, can you introduce yourself for us? Sure thing. So, hi, I'm Philip. Um, I'm a games producer at Wuga, where we create uh, the world's, hopefully, the world's best story-driven casual games uh, for players from all over the world to to enjoy. Uh, I've been in the gaming industry for over ten years now. Uh, I've worked for, um, I think, I went through through it all, like from indie to AAA. So I worked at CD Projekt Red. I worked at Ubisoft. I worked at Eleven Bit Studios. And now kind of back to my roots because I started with mobile gaming and now I circled the back end and, and, and really happy at Huga. Um, yeah, when it comes to my background, I actually came from uh, journalism. So I, I was first writing reviews and news about video games, then went to marketing, um, community management and directly from there, um, I started working as a producer. Fantastic. And, yeah, Thank you very much, Philip. Uh, and lastly, Tom. Please, could you kick us off with the introduction? Yeah, of course. Hey, guys. Um, so I'm Tom. Um, I'm, a, um, I'm an art director at Splash Damage. Um, I've been in the entertainment industry in various roles for about, about 13 years. Um, so I started off as a product designer working on toys, uh, sort of transitioned to um, brand design stuff and worked on kids TV. Um, and again, a little bit more toys with Mattel. Um, and now finally I'm into video games um, and I, I've got to say I'm happiest here. I've always been into video games and I think it wasn't obvious that you could work in video games when I was kind of growing up. So I've found my way here eventually and I'm kind of I'm loving it now. Yeah, Amazing. Thank you, Tom. Uh, yeah, thank you to everyone. Now we've uh, established a little bit of a context for each of our guests. We're going to go into the question side of stuff. So our first question today is going to come from Thomas. So Thomas, please, can you give us your question? Of course. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that's that 
I have to consider a lot, and that, that we we as a team have to consider a lot when we when we work with what we do, and that's when you're building a team, and then obviously subsequently recruiting. How do you rank the following in terms of education, work life experience, and then value add to the team? Um, and I'd, I'd I'd love to hear you know people's people's view on that. Yeah, absolutely, great question. Um, I'll tell you what, Tom, do you want to start us off uh, with your thoughts on Thomas's question? Then I threw me off there. I thought I thought we were going in order again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, of course. So I think it's interesting because um, I, I come from a bit of a luckier place because artists have portfolios. So we've got this whole different info stream about like when we're hiring an artist, you can look at that person and you can immediately tell like their skill level, you can tell their taste, you can tell like the sort of level of professionalism and what they've worked on. So even almost without reading a CV, sometimes you can pick up like an awful lot of information. Having said that, like, it's a really interesting question. Um, I think we have to hire for a skill level. Like if somebody can't deliver what's needed for the job, then then that that automatically kind of like for me sort of puts them puts them off the um, like not in the running anymore. Because really what I'm looking for is I'm like, hey, like, we need someone that that can that can build characters, we need someone that can build environments that can do lighting. And if, if they can't fulfill that role, um, that's the sort of very minimum. And then after that, then you have a bunch of amazingly talented candidates. And then it becomes really tricky. Then it's then a lot of it is like, hey, what's the character fit? How are they going to how are they going to get along with the team? How are they going to like lift everybody up with them? Um, so it's really interesting. Like when it comes to looking at like work life experience, it's not like I don't care. I, and, I, and I say this as somebody like not coming from video games, like I like people to have like a broad range of experience. Like I love it when someone comes in from a slightly different industry and they're like, hey, actually, this is how we do it somewhere else in advertising. This is how we build it. This is how we light it differently. Like these are some different techniques we can use for storytelling. So for me, like I, I love talking to people that have come from different places. Um, you almost end up with like a very narrow view. If, if you've if you've purely been doing one thing for your entire career, I find people can get really, really focused. But those focused people equally could could be amazing on a project. You know what I mean? They might have exactly the stuff you want. They might bring with them like really good information about processes and pipelines that that you're researching. So I, I haven't really got like a straight answer for you guys. Basically, I, the biggest takeaway is that artists have portfolios, which is that's the number one thing. Um, and then the fallback is kind of character and and what else they can bring, like where they can bring like that added value. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good point. Um, Philip, what what are your thoughts? Uh, so one thing that's um, a little bit missing f for me from the list is it's like the cultural fit, you know, because I I uh, I personally think that it's it's a very very important uh, part um, and and something that I'm always looking for, like. Uh, of course, as as Tom mentioned, like when you have artists, for example, like you can measure also their their skills. You know, uh, I don't care that much. I think about the education part because, like, I I've worked with so many talented people who were, um, you know, like teaching themselves some stuff or you know just learning from their peers rather than going to to university or some art school or or any other um, kind of like higher education. Uh, but yeah, when it comes to the to the cultural fit, like I I have worked with many people and I have talked with even more people uh, who are like brilliant kind of on paper, you know, like they had the theory, they had the practice, they had the experience, but then in the end they didn't seem to be like a good fit to work with other people. For example, like you could have a brilliant engineer um and somebody like you can give them the whole system to build and and they're gonna do it you know extremely fast and bug free and all of that but at the at the same time it would be probably a great pain for everyone involved uh to actually communicate with them um it can go for any other discipline of course like it's it's the same with producers like i i've been also like uh, talking and recruiting producers who who didn't know how to communicate you know like this is our basic tool as uh, as producers to communicate with people and 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 for example some of them were like super closed off or uh, or they didn't want to interact with people um you know this kind of stuff so i i think this is this is very important when it comes to the cultural fit um and and when it comes to that i i, I love the variety uh like um for example at Wuga, like we have hundreds of people from i think we have like over 30 40 nationalities in the in the company which is fantastic because everybody brings something to the mix and we actually learn from each other and 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 we have like greater respect for each other and this is like something that i absolutely love 
Uh, and I worked in companies like that in the past as well. And I always think that like the 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 bigger the variety is, um, like the better for the company overall. So like when you have more women in the company, like I've worked for one one company where we had like around 120 people and only like three women in the whole company. So even when making games, of course, everything was, you know, more towards what uh, like what male audience would like to see because basically mm -hmm. all the all the leads were uh, were on these positions as well. Um, so again, like when it comes to that, like this is very important for me. And yeah, well, I I I also like the the attitude that people have. So like I, I always have this one uh, one story. So I'll I'll just quickly go through it because like it's something I absolutely loved. So for one of the companies I worked in the past, the AAA company, we were looking for a very um, talented uh, character artist, and we got um, a submission from from one guy. Uh, whose portfolio like was amazing, and then we talked with him. Like he was very, he was very, um, it, it, very inexperienced. Like he he didn't work before. Uh, however, his story was something that um, that is always like super um, energetic when I when I think about it. Like he he didn't have the money to go like to the art school that he wanted to to uh, level up his skills. So he worked in the harbor for like twelve hours a day, and then. Uh, in during the day he was working like as a bartender or something and he was basically doing that for two three years just to get the money go like to Canada to the school and you know like in two years um, he worked really really hard on his portfolio and in the end he was a fantastic candidate but we didn't choose him because like we got some more experienced people so to speak you know like with more work experience but not particularly better artists um in the end it turned out really great for him like i'm i'm still in contact with him fantastic guy and he actually got a better position somewhere else and now like he's an art director in one of the big studios so um like really amazing story like he was he was uh like the, uh, his attitude towards work and towards working with others and love for video games and the sacrifices he made, like it was, it was something that you know yeah. they could make a movie about him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, they might. <laughs> yeah. uh, ben, let's come to you then. Uh, lastly, before we come back to Thomas uh, on Thomas's original question. All right. I mean, I'm, I'm very similar to what Philip said. For, for me, I follow a very hard rule when we interview people is we can teach people hard skills, but we cannot, or it's very difficult to, pe to teach people the soft skills. Um, if people are dysfunctional in a team, it's, it takes a lot of time and effort, and often it's in vain to make them work. Um, but coming back to Thomas's original question, for me, education matters the least. And for me, maybe a little bit for juniors, of course, because they need to have the education is primarily work experience. Um, but if I think back in my adult days, I had no education. I'm always surprised if I talk to universities, people ask me, what's your education? Like, I have none. I had to teach, I had to learn everything myself. I, I never went to university or anything like that. It doesn't, didn't exist back then, and, and I'm still here. Um, I hope I'm doing fine. Um, <laughs> but for me, the most important thing is value added to the team. And I think that's similar to what Tom said. If you need a character artist, you need somebody who can fulfill, to help the team to build characters. Um, because if you only have an entire team which has the best work-life experience making characters and you need someone who make a vehicle or a weapon, you're a little bit of in a pickle. So yeah. the, the value added to the team is, for me, the most important thing. And that's why we, or myself, especially Plan A and whatnot, we put so much effort in actually mentoring people because that ultimately makes the team better and the product better um, because that adds value to the team. And, and that also the, helps to work on the composition of the team itself and and. That is, for me, the core essential of, of honestly, that question for me. Yeah. If you only have specialists with one little thing, it doesn't really matter how experienced they are. So. Okay. Well, Thomas, to come back to you then, uh, after hearing from other, the other guests, obviously, it was your question. What about yourself in terms of where where do you rank, uh, you know, those aspects? And what are your thoughts after hearing from the other guests as well? Uh, I think there's a lot of interesting there. Because... Um, Initially, so it, it's it's interesting when Tom says that you know he's privileged because he gets the work of a portfolio. But for me, a portfolio is it's a very interesting that specific. We have a, an amazing creative director. His name is Marcus. He's obviously very similar. He's just like I, I you know, portfolio first. Uh, that's kind of he gets to root out stuff. But for me, a portfolio is a description of both the work life experience, but also directly also in the value out of the team. Because when I say value add to the team. 
that's a combination of multiple factors, right? If you need if you need a character built uh, and that you don't have that skill set in the team, that's obviously a value add. But then it's on the software side, as Ben says, which is also crucial. You have some people who just make everybody else around them better. There, there might be that I had someone I, that I worked with previously who we hired for, or I hired in a, in a previous company for a very specific job. It was not great at that specific piece of the job, but with a personality and a type of character that made everybody else just extraordinarily good at what they did. Uh, and for me, that that's a direct value add to the team because you end up getting more output from everything else as a direct consequence of having that person in the team. So uh, for me, I always start with 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 value add to the team. I think that's and and for me, as Philip, when you mentioned culture fit, that for me is a part of that, right? It's it's it's, it's adding to that is a, is a that goes in that category. The reason that I that I ask, and the reason I ask in that order specifically, has to do with recruitment. Because for me, I would go value add to the team, then I would go uh, work life experience, and then I go education. That in, in in that order. And the reason for that is the first and foremost thing that I need to know is does this person make the team better uh, better or not? Does this solve something that we in the team need to solve? Uh, then I look at work-life experience, meaning does this person have a proven record of adding to adding the value that I need in the team to the team? Is there is there some sort of proof in their experience that shows that with credibility, I'm not going off my gut feeling, I think they can add to the team. Can I actually verify that somehow? And then I look at, for, for me, education doesn't matter in the terms of, I don't care what your education is, but I will say I do care about, do you have one? At least to an extent, it doesn't. It's not a hard yes or no. But the reason it matters to me is because it shows commitment. It shows are you able to start something and see that end to the finish, do all the stuff that is required along the path, and get from you know point A to point B, mm. uh, and and commit to that journey. Because it, at least it shows me that that personality trait, which I which I care about. Um, but there are also other ways, of course, to show it. But it's it's very often a, a good way to, to see, OK, do they have that character trait? Um, and then I, I just want to very, very briefly touch on what Philip said when it comes to, to, to women, when it comes to women in gaming, because it's it's one of the things I talk a lot about. It's it's if you've seen any of the interviews with me um, to those that have, it's, it's one of my big talking points. And I agree with you, it's a huge issue, but the big issue is very often that you get 100 candidates and there's one woman. And the statistical likelihood of that one woman being, you know, skill set better, it's it's like any other of the any other one person out of 100. You have a higher probability of, of finding the skill sets with the other ones, which is problematic because in gaming, at least in the new generation gamers, there's 50-50 between men and women in the younger new generation coming up. Uh, of the consumers, and on top of that, some of the greatest storytellers of of human history are are women. I mean, uh, Anne Rice, who is my arguably my favorite author, is uh, there's very very few authors who tell stories the same way. Obviously, you know, uh, Harry Potter, same thing, right? So there's stories that I think half of our consumers wants that perspective in the games they play and wants those experiences reflected in the games they play, and we just don't have it. But it's very often because we don't have the candidates. It's that they're just not, they're very hard to find the good ones, but they add so much value when you get like the comp, any competent value add to the team is great. But having that extra perspective is something that um, I think we should lift up more. And, and obviously as well, especially social media, it sometimes aren't very attractive environments to women because on social media, there's a very high risk of toxicity and it gets increased by the competitive nature of especially young 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 men uh, hidden behind a screen very often so it's it's a tricky it's a tricky challenge that i think we need to solve and it's crucial that we do because the output that we can get from it is, is so good yeah yeah absolutely um ben did you want to just come in uh, briefly on a, a touch point that thomas said yeah i just want to briefly on the, the the topic of education means a commitment. Um, I want to stress one opinion of myself that um, I think one thing which is even more committing more is is coming from the mod community. It's not just because I'm coming from the mod community myself, but um, people from the mod community, they put their free time into it. They put their own money into it. They, they put so much more effort into it. So when I have to value mod community versus education, for me, mod community is always a little tick higher 
Because you've managed to ship something on your own terms, on your own free time, on your own personalities and all these things, and you make it work without a professor around you telling you how to do these things. And you have to learn it yourself. That's typically where, for me, I get an extra bonus star in terms of commitment. But modern education is, is really, really catching up in that case. And they kind of model it almost like Motti nowadays. So. Yeah. So that was just my little comment here. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. Tom, I'm uh, I'm going to move on to the next question um, only because I'm conscious of time. But thank you very much, Thomas, for, for kicking it off with a, a first great question. Um, so we're going to move on to, to Ben's question now. So, Ben, please, could you uh, give us your question with a little bit of context? All right. I mean, the background context is for me is that why a company's success is only as good as the team is the original question of this podcast. For me, the answer was always simple because they actually do the work. Um, the better the team, the better the product. The, the topic for me rather is if we explore a little bit our own past where I think a lot of us experienced the opposite, where the, the mantra was more a little bit like the company's success is only as good as um, their boss. And I think that's where we, we, we changed a lot in the last times. But um, whenever I interviewed people, um, the biggest fear when I asked him about upcoming leaders or directors was always, uh, oh, I, I don't want to have micromanagers as leaders. So I think it's still a very, very common, very modern topic. And, and I think 2020 showed there a lot in 2021, depending which company you're looking at right now. So there's a lot of still narcissists or misunderstood old school leaders coming to mind. So for me, my question rather is, um, what are the consequences of, 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 of having such leaders and, and what did we learn out of it? And, and what are your own personal experience without breaking any NDAs? Please don't say any names. I mean, I have to be very careful here because I have a yeah, please lot of experience with those things. Um, but I think it's a very, very important topic because it's still still up to date right now, unfortunately, for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And it's a really good question as well. It's a good way to look at the topic as a whole. So, uh, Philip, uh, let's start with you then. What what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, I actually wanted to start with, with, uh, with one name, but like not connected with the gaming industry. So, just saying like as as kind of a news thing you know like uh it struck me uh, because it it already came to my mind when you were saying ben about it um how elon musk reacted to uh you know people working from home and saying to all the tesla employees they need to go, go back to the office because uh you know they're uh, they're they're just uh, not working when they're at home um, and, and this kind of mentality, right? Like I'm, I'm showcasing this more as a template uh, because it is like common in the gaming industry as well. Like it's it's not that two years of COVID or three years now, um, it's, it's going to change, uh, you know, everyone's perspective on it. But I think uh, this is like kind of uh, like a defining moment when it comes to the companies that are shifting and are seeing this change when it comes to you know remote working or hybrid working and the ones that want to cling on to the past and kind of want to you know micromanage control their employees uh, or they just don't see yet the benefit of, of it um and and i i think especially like with the with the gaming industry like we've seen at the beginning like all of us struggled right uh, one way or another uh, to get things back on track, to make sure that development works as well. Uh, you know, all the small talks and 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 quick meetings where you could just uh, you know go and talk to to a designer or an engineer in the office rather than just like scheduling a call with them or poking them, you know, on Slack, on HipChat, whatever else if they're if they're free. Um, I, I I think like it 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 really showcased the difference, and I had that experience in the past. Like I've worked with I, I I've worked with bad bosses, but I've worked with great bosses as well. And and sometimes it was like I had experience where a CEO of quite a big company suddenly wanted to become a game director for a game uh, that we were making. Um, and you know it was a lot of people working on the game and suddenly like this shift you know um and and the funny thing is even though it was very painful there were a lot of very good leads like the interim leads in between who were also a buffer and i think this is also something that um that is worth exploring uh, when it comes to our discussion that it's not only like the big bad boss somewhere out there but you have all those kind of leads and people who can who can be a buffer, like you can be a buffer for your employees as well. So they so they never feel kind of you know the um, the the uh, sometimes the toxicity or you know uh, the discussions. Uh, 
that they wouldn't like to hear and and this kind of stuff so i i mm-hmm. think like it i think like the probably the bigger the organization like the more complex um it, it becomes but uh yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like, you know, like uh, when you have someone who hires you and uh, and actually trusts you to do the job that you are about to do, like this is the best way to go, of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tom, let's come to you. Uh, nice. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. I, I think I'm probably going to make actually quite similar points to, to Philip and hopefully not put my foot in it. It's an absolute minefield, this question, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I think, so... A story, a story from from somewhere I had worked. Um, I, I worked on a show, and um, there was a there was a relationship between the director and the producer of this show. So, like, you've got the highest level creative and the highest level um, making things happen person, and 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 this is such like a famous partnership in movies and shows and whatever. And these guys fell out with each other to the point where they weren't talking. And it's it's like it's childish to the point of being hilarious. But I'd I'd walk with drawings from one end of the office to the other whilst these guys like tried to blank each other and couldn't couldn't get in a room and just sort of work out some really basic stuff, which I mean, this is insane. This is like a sort of multi-million dollar project. And, and there's two people that can't put aside their differences to work together. Um, and, and the results were we didn't make a very good thing. Uh, and, and actually, like, it's not something I'm particularly like proud of. Like, it did get made and it did get finished, but but we we could have done better and we could have done a lot better. The project did suffer, and I I think like analysing the situation, the producer was definitely overstepping his bounds. He was stepping into that creative like territory, and the director was unable to push back. And it it doesn't matter if the producer was right or wrong. I don't think. Um, but but what kind of matters is is you're not you're not trusting the other person to make the right decision. You're kind of encroaching upon their their job basically and like where their remit is and what they've been hired for so and it's interesting what we're saying about kind of being able to protect people lower down the food chain to from this stuff happening but actually when it's very difficult to do and and when you end up with a sort of a a sour relationship or or, because everyone does have everyone does want to make the best thing everyone's got the best intentions on the product and you have to remember that um but when you do end up with very strange relationships like that kind of that kind of work work ethic kind of filters down throughout throughout the team, mm. uh, and and that's when lower levels of the team you start to see similar behaviour because someone can see it like slightly above them, and so therefore like the examples set by, set at the top start to start to influence what's happening kind of all, all the way down to the bottom, and and, and so it's. It, yeah, there's kind of a sort of corruption that can happen fairly quickly. Um, again, it's really difficult to know like whose job it is to kind of like keep those relationships sort of like at, at the highest level. But ultimately, I think we all kind of have to sacrifice our ego and say, hey, like we're all here to make something. And actually like agreeing on on something is is almost more important than making the right decision, which it sounds really strange to say, but sometimes um, an, an agreeable outcome is actually much better than just damaging relationships just to get your point across um and that's that's one that i've kind of like learned from that situation i think um and then i guess like one last point i kind of wanted to make there's a difference between a kind of toxic relationship or toxic leadership and a strong visionary um i have worked in very very like successful teams where there's been a very clear vision for what the product should be and actually that high level vision is set and then the lower level creative work um there's still an awful lot of space as a creative to explore within a vision. Like um, having a good vision doesn't mean that all the creative work is all done for you. Like what it means is you're given a very, very targeted space to be creative within. Um, and and so I, I want to make sure we're making the distinction between like a very, very good visionary who's able to let his team be creative within within where they want to sort of drive the project and some people that are just sort of like getting to a low level and like fiddling about in the details with what what mm. what are actually people's jobs. Yeah, that's where my head's at. Yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting point and a way of looking at it. Um, Thomas, interested to hear your points on this. Obviously, you and Ben were having a little discussion about this uh, before we we started the podcast. So uh, what are your thoughts? It's a very complex conversation. Um, As I I mentioned uh, when we were talking to Ben is, I think at the end of the day, I, I don't, I, I think it comes down to, I don't separate between the boss and the team. I think at the end of the day, I think that's where you, you you get problems. I think any team is only as strong as as the team is itself and a dynamic in and a culture in the team. Uh, and I think the boss is just a part of that team. We all have different roles to fill in that team. Um, I think one of the reasons why there's a lot of misconceptions 
about the the CEO or the leader or the boss being the most important is very often they're the ones that are connected to the responsibilities of the shareholders and, and the overall goals and the like because you kind of have to separate between external and internal metrics and they very often have a, a more a, a lot more information or at least high level information than everybody else and they have to make at the end of the day a lot of decisions that not everyone is gonna be on board with and some people take that very well and other people uh, don't but I think what that comes down to is communication. I think at the end of the day, our COO used a, an amazing phrase and, and he described it really, really well when I was talking to him and, and, and we were going back and forth on this. And he says, it's a little bit like a car, right? You can you can say that you're gonna, you're, you're four people who's gonna get in the car and you, you walk to your friends and I can say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in the car, it's sunny, it's amazing weather, I'm gonna drive and we're gonna drive for a ride. It's gonna be an amazing time, we're gonna have sun and it's gonna be fun. And then you start driving and about, you know, you drive, you know, 20% there. And then someone says, oh, well, hold on now. We, we should have taken a left here. And you're like, no, because we're going over there. And that person who wanted to take a left, there was no clear premise for where is it? Like, what is the objectives? Where is it that we're actually headed? That wasn't communicated clearly. So you get disgruntlement along the way because the, that objective isn't the same in the heads of everyone. And I think when that happens, it's very, it's important to, I think the result will be better. The better you are at clearly defining here is the goal. And then this is what, what um, Tom kind of talked about too, is this is the vision. This is where we're going to go. Here's where the path is. This is what we try to achieve. And if, if everyone's on board with that, it's very easy to trust people to be very free in, in, in getting the team to get there together. Um, but if you're not clearly communicating where it is that you want to go, you will get a lot of very differing opinions and then suddenly parts of the team will break down. And that's very often when the leader or the, the boss, it, at the end of the day, it's his responsibility, but it might not necessarily be his fault in the conflict because it might be someone else, that disgruntled person who, where the, those premises didn't align, who starts misbehaving and acting out and doesn't be like, that might happen to any, that could be any portion of the team, but it's, at the end of the day, it's the responsibility of the leader to set those premises and goals along the way. And if the premises change, to communicate that and say, look, because of external markets or this or finance or whatever, we're going to have to change the goals. And are we all on board on that? And if that doesn't happen, okay, how do we then move our separate ways in the best possible way so that everyone is left off in the, in the best possible, um, possible manner? I think that's what it comes down to where it very often has a tendency of, of, of breaking down. Because uh, I have a, I'll be very clear, I have a very, very strong vision about what I want the company to be like. And you can have Ford who, you know, Ford has built me the best selling car. And they, it's purely just like, it's a very numbers driven, that's the goal, right? But if you take Bentley, it isn't. It's build me a Bentley. A Bentley looks and feels a certain way. This is what it is, build me this. I have a very clear vision of what I want to do. And I like to be involved because it's my dream. Um, and it, one of our designers is amazing. I love him to death. When he started, it was a little tricky because I have a tendency to walk over. I was like, okay, what are we working on? How did that, you know, what does it look like? And it could very quickly feel like micromanagement. And then it took a little while where he's just like, holy shit, that's not what you're doing. Because for me, the vision, what I do, where the path is on the top gets inspired by the people I work with. So the more I can see what they do, the more I can be involved and hear their thoughts and the reasoning and their thought processes, the more I can help them shape or they can be part of shaping the big stuff, the big mm. goal. So I want to hear all those thoughts, but if you're new to that, that can very quickly feel like, is he looking over my shoulder? <laughs> Which is so far from the actual intent. But that's when I had to realize that I needed to set that premise and say, here is the why I ask. Here's so that we align because the goal is over here, but you can help shape it. And and I think that's if that doesn't happen, the dynamic can very quickly become or at least be experienced as toxic because if the CEO has a vision that's very clear over here, but it hasn't been communicated over here. So when you're halfway through, you're realizing that the, our premises are not the same. Then the employee who then is like, but this is not what I want to do or my goals is. And then the CEO was up and said, listen, this is what the shareholders expected. That is where I have a belief that a lot of that toxic impressions will come from. It comes from that moment of disconnect. Yeah. That would be my. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good point. I really like the perspective where you're saying about it's it's not micromanaging. It's actually understanding to to go from top uh, from bottom to top upwards, like the vision. 
Um, that was a really interesting point. Ben, since it was your question, I always like to come back to people. Just give us, uh, you've got w one minute <laughs> before we move on, a little a little wrap up. I will not share all the weirdness which I experienced with weird micromanaging <laughs> narcissistic bosses. Um, there's a couple of very important things. I, I fully agree that we leaders and arguably bosses, we all sit in the same boat with the team too. So, and it may be a little bit German to say, but if, 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 if one of us fails, we all drown together. Um, and, and we all play our own little roles in this whole thing, but it's not like one above the other per se. Of course, we need to keep the strategic direction, the, the vision, however we want to call it. That is important, but it doesn't mean we need to micromanage or tell people exactly where to place their trees. I mean, otherwise I can just hire drones and, and that's quite exhausting actually, to be honest. Um, and then coming back to, to vision and, and because I have personal very strong experience with narcissists, um, the, the big problem is that often a very strong vision is one thing, and I think that's important. That's very important, especially for my job as a director. But often narcissists use that excuse um, to, 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 to save themselves, to say, oh, Steve Jobs was a big narcissist too, and he had a great vision too. Like, I don't know if that's true. I never read the book. But um, I think that's quite important that we actually separate, okay, there's a vision and there's a narcissist with a vision, and it doesn't justify it. And I think we, I wish more and more companies would, would promote people to leadership position because they have good leadership and not just because they're good in their job. And yeah. I think that's for me the, the dominant thing. And they have more the guts to say, you know what, we let go of this person because not just because he touches women, but because all these bad in leadership. Um, and then we should stop doing that practice for ne uh, nepotism reason. That is would be nice for me to see more and more companies do. Thomas, I'll give you 30 seconds to respond. Yes, <laughs> so, but, but for, for me, it comes back to it comes back to our previous conversation about value add. You should pr promote someone based on what value do they add to the team and can the amount of value they add be better in this position rather than not. It, it all comes down to what makes the team stronger, what makes the team move forward. And again, it, it, that has to do with that premise, right? Here is where I want us to go. <laughs> uh, now, can you help me get can, can we as a team get there faster? Does everybody agree that this is where we want to go? Are we aligned that this is where we want to go? And what makes that happen faster and better and more efficiently? Um, and where should people be in that order? And if again, if you can't align on that, if you can't have that common premise of, of that, that's when you get a bunch of different frictions and where you usually get the, well, you know, I'm bigger than the team. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, uh, if someone made it, like whoever, if it's my car and I say, this is my dream, do you guys want to come with me to this? You make the choice of getting in. Uh, you, you, th that also has a factor in this, which I think is very often used as an excuse, but it's it, 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 it's a part of the variables yeah. because again, it comes down to here's where I want to take the car. Do you want to come with me? Mm -hmm. Kind of thing. It is, it's a really interesting question. Um, so thank you, Ben, and uh, for all, uh, all contributing to it as well. I'm sure we could spend a lot longer on it as well. Uh, but we'll, we've got to move on because we've got to get uh, two more questions through. So Philip, let's come to you for the the third question. Uh, yeah. So so my question is uh, directly related, of course, uh, to the topic of our conversation today, um, and maybe. Uh, diving a little bit deeper because like a company's success is only as good as their team and now the question for me is like how do you measure team success when you have like multiple teams or studios working on a project you know um all around the world um and is it like you know by milestones delivered the budget maybe the company culture um you know maybe something else uh because like i i kind of feel that it's uh yeah i don't want to spoil your answer so maybe yeah maybe i'll, I'll leave it like that <laughs> yeah and, yeah we'll um, come yeah. back round <laughs> we'll yeah. come back no it's a, it's a good question so how are, how are we measuring success what does success mean um okay so tom let, let's come to you then i'm uh I'm, I'm going to excuse myself from this one a little bit as well. So obviously working at a project level is quite different from working at a studio level and assessing if your team has done well, which I think is also different again from maybe outsourcing some work, getting something back from the other studio and then assessing if that other studio has done the right work for you and how successful you think they've been. So there's kind of all these sorts of different viewpoints of, do you know what I mean? I, I think the, the observation of success has to be taken from lots of different angles, which in itself makes it sort of quite unknowable. Um, <laughs> so it's it, it's really interesting. I, I also think we can look at the sort of, yeah, you're right. Like, have you delivered on every milestone? Like, have you come in on budget? Like, are, are these assets correct? Will we use you again? Is the relationship there for the future? Pure money. 
like, all of this stuff is, is like on on paper is very very easy to look at and say ticks and boxes and say yes that's great um I, I, thomas touched on it a little bit as well but like looking at your team and what they've done for your company and how that adheres to your company's values I think is ultimately like another really, really good measure of success. So companies will have different values and they'll do different things. Like I know Bentley and Ford is a really good example. Like Nike versus Adidas is, is another amazing example of two massive brands that stand for slightly different things. Like they're so similar and yet there's kind of a different feeling between them, um, which is amazing for kind of like brand design. Red Bull is another fantastic brand where you're like, you kind of get that it's about energy and it's about extreme sports stuff. So like they put on events which just lose money, but it's about them building out that brand and and people really understanding who they are and what they're all about. So we, I think we're living in a sort of post pure, pure ROI age um, where we have to look at sort of the, the sort of long-term um, health of the company and how things are going. And and of course, we have to be looking at the people we're employing as well and, and their experiences um, within the business. And do they still want to work for you? Um, yeah, super difficult, massive question. Could probably do a whole podcast <laughs> on that one as well. <laughs> well, Ben, let's, uh, let's come to you on that and hear your thoughts. All right. I have a little different perspective because I've been in a lot of co-dev roles in my past. So um, I, I kind of know what it means to, to be in, in different multi-studio team, one project type of mentality. And and for me, the big success for, for a team is is measured by how well they can work together without much control from, from us, without much friction, without, yeah, again, micromanagement, without bottlenecks, without toxicity. So the more they have the empathy towards the other studio, because more if as soon as there's friction, the more and more the studio, like, ah, oh, it's the evil studio, and the other studio thinks that the other is the evil studio, the stupid one. So despite all the distance, the more successful the team setup work well together, that's that's the premise for me. Because honestly, once they actually can work independently, smoothly, trust each other, and that's a very rare one nowadays, uh, generally actually support each other, then the rest is the easy part. If you have such a well-gelling team, if they then still fail a milestone or break the budget, it must be something else. It must be something like Corona or a really horrible CEO somewhere or then has to be always the CEO, but if something else goes wrong, plane crash or whatever. Um, but if the team works really well together, and like that, that, if that is all gone, um, that is for me the core success because you can build really upon it. So yeah. that would be my, my my take on that. No, it's good. Uh, Thomas, let's come to you. Uh, ben touches on it. He's, he's very, very close to, to how my initial part of the answer would be, which is that I find it, a, it it's actually a little bit in the phrasing. If you're working on one project, in my head, you're not multiple teams or multiple two. You're you're one team uh, because this comes down to that premise, right? We have the same goal. We have the same place we want to get. We're one team. We're one group. And the success of that will depend on all the individual components. They're actually functioning together uh, and, and stuff not breaking down, which again comes down to do we have the same premises about where we want to go and do we have the same goals and the same output that we want to create and then it comes down to realistically one other portion that has to go into that and there's so i measure this in two different metrics um i measure this in the metrics of is this you have external metrics so that means that milestones budgets sales revenues um exposure, whatever, like the, the, the measurable stuff. And then you have the internal of um, health of the company and the team itself. So do you have a high turnover of, of, of employees? How's, you know, are people happy? Are people satisfied? Do you have, what's your values like? That's more of an, um, it's, it's a different softer type of metric. And how you met and, and how you measure both of these against in terms of success is something you have to define early on. What is the success criteria here? Like, is the success criteria X amount of sales and revenue? Well, and well, and if within a certain timeline, well, then it's milestone success criteria and revenues. Is as Tom mentioned, Red Bull is your success criteria that a lot of people get the brand and understand what our values is about. Well, then the milestones and the revenue and the losses and the function that comes lower down on. So success depends on, you have to define that early on so that the team knows what they're working towards. And and so I think for me, I think that's, it's you can't define it in terms of here's what success is. I think for each individual thing, you have to say, this is what success looks like for us ahead of time. This is what we want to achieve. Now, don't get me wrong. You can have other successes along the way that you fail on some of your initial 
intended ones, but you had a few others and then you can redefine. But that's what I mean. Then you redefine along the way and you say, OK, our 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 um, premises changed now because of that. This is this. This is our new path. Are we all aligned that this is where we want to go? Cool. Is there someone who wants to jump off? Great. Does someone want to get out of the car? Then I'll drop you off at the nearest train station or I'll meet with another car that wants to take you where you want to go. It's 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 all on that. But Ben touches on it. I, or Ben, mm. it's it's how well does the team work to work towards where you want to go, and is everyone aligned on where that is? Well, uh, we'll come back to you then, Philip. Obviously, your question. You said you wanted to hear from everybody else before um, before you gave in like your answers or your take on on your question. So go on, let's hear from you then. Uh, thanks. Uh, thank you. Thank you, guys, for for answering. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a very broad question, and and um, I kind of asked it on on purpose like that because I wanted to see like how how would you uh, approach it uh, from from which side. Uh, for me personally, um, I'm 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 leaning towards a little bit to what Ben said because for me, um, is it the like you know within let's say one big studio is it a separate studio somewhere else in the world or is it an outsourcer as as Tom mentioned like for me it's um, it's also the like the respect and actually believing that you know you're getting someone to do the job and as Thomas mentioned like if the vision is there and we have you know the plan ahead. Um, that we also trust each other to do that work, you know. Like uh, as a as a as an example, I've worked in, in in companies where, for example, outsourcers they couldn't touch anything apart from the builds, for example, you know, like testing the builds, like this particular build, or create these kind of assets without, for example, playing the game at all. Um, where on the contrary, I've been in in companies like, for example, at Wuga, we have like we are open to that, you know, like we are getting those people in they are too with us in the meetings that we are having and you know it's uh it's completely different like way of collaborating um but again it can also change based on like what do you need right like if, i don't know maybe you need 500 different sprites for for the game and maybe they don't need to play the game at all you know um but uh, like for me for me this is like how i would measure you know like very broadly right uh the company's success because again like there's different metrics that we can look into but thomas i see uh that you would <laughs> like to say something so go ahead but i think i think it's interesting because you you kind of mentioned that there's a there's a lot of call or there there's a lot of these situations where people won't be allowed to touch this or not to touch this and I think that actually points at what I think is a bigger problem. And I, and again, not going to throw a specific studio under the under the proverbial. Actually, I am, but I'm not going to name it. So if you look at one of the bigger MMOs that was released in the more recent times, uh, which did really, really well on the charts for a very short amount of time, and then it completely just died off. The, the big issue there is that you ended up having a culture where it wasn't that they were not allowed to touch things. It's that people really don't want feedback. Like, they don't want input from others. They're so sensitive to the input and conversations from others because they're so protective of their own opinion. They're not. They don't. They're not willing to move. And that this this goes from leaders to developers to every, especially leaders, obviously, that they don't. They can hear the words of others, but then they get you know pissed or whatever it is. But they don't actually listen. They don't hear. Okay, should there is there something I should reconsider now about the way I work? My idea can this be improved? They're so sensitive to that that we, we don't want the input of others anymore. And that leads to don't touch my can I say don't touch my shit on that podcast? <laughs> yeah. It leads to it leads to don't touch my shit, you know? Uh, and I think that's a it's a much broader issue than just this. It's a societal issue as well. But I mean, we need to be a lot more open to input from others. That's just the reality of it. And you're not gonna trust people until that happens. Yeah. Ben, I, I am going to move on um, just because of time, if that's okay. But uh, another great question, Philip. Um, so Give him 30 seconds. It. Give him 30, 30, 30 seconds. seconds. I'll go on then, Ben. <laughs> all right. I mean, I think we all agree that there's this whole, how well we gel together, that's the, the fundamental thing. And honestly, it comes back to what Philip said, it's culture. If we create a culture where we actually don't want to work for this company for all the various reasons, if I don't want to follow this car, then that's my reason to, to leave. Or there should be a reason to leave. I think that's the most important thing. And that, again, comes back to culture and, and 
that for me is the, the actual success of a story to keep the people. If everybody leaves, you failed as a company because you have a bad team, aka only bad project. Very nicely wrapped up in 30 seconds, Ben. I appreciate it. <laughs> Great point. Uh, okay, last question of the day. Thank you very much for that question, Philip. Um, last one of the day, we're going to head over to Tom. So Tom, please, can you give us the last question? Yeah, of course. And actually, I think Thomas has started to touch on this as a sort of really good summary. And I'm actually going to add a bit of an end to this question to try and throw a curveball at Ben and see if it will catch him out. So <laughs> the question is, how do you define success? So like this is this is the kind of challenge, isn't it? This is like the biggest word we've got in this in this top statement. Like, why is company success only as good as their team? Um, how are we defining it with the best monetary decision? We've talked about, is it about product stuff? Is it about quality? Is it about just team cohesion? Which I, I think we're all we're all in sort of the same mindset. We've all got to get along with each other to make stuff and we want to make stuff in the future and we're all quite agreeable people here. But conversely, um, have you guys seen the film Whiplash about a drummer who yeah, kind of drums? And, and, and so he, this drummer has a relationship with his drum master, his kind of music teacher, and it is a terrible relationship. And they, <laughs> they wind each other up. They hate each other. Like it, it almost comes to blows. Like their their lives drop apart because they hate each other so much. And then, but they force each other to be better. And right at the end, you get this drum solo and you're like, oh my God, that was incredible. But I think the point of the film is that there's this suffering and pain that has to happen sometimes to build something truly amazing. And I'm, I'm wondering like, in your definition of success, is there any room for, for butting heads and how do we do it decently in, in your own definitions of success? I, I also wanna just, I, I think it would be silly not to call out like some successful companies. Like um, I know you guys, I've seen this question. So I've, I've actually called out like Blizzard Springs to mind um, with its sort of sexual abuse allegations. Very successful company, very successful products, difficult hurdles for the teams to overcome there. Um, so like there are different times, types of kind of growing pains within within what we do. And like, what are you guys able to accept to make a good thing? Yeah, no, really, really good question. Ben, let's come to you first then. <laughs> right. I mean, for me, if you alienate your people, if everybody leaves for, for all the right or the wrong reasons, um, you can't make a good product anymore. If you, I, 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 the, a huge team of bad people really struggle to make a good product. And I think it's up, especially leadership, to actually hire the right people, the right mix of people, as we said previously. Um, but regardless of, of probability or whatever happens, um, if, if the people are not there and all the people are bad, and you have to make very weak compromises. Um, I think it, it, it doesn't matter how successful your, your product meant to be. Um, and I want to believe that a, a, a really solid team, which works well with the leadership, because we all agree that they all sit in the same boat, um, they can accept unpopular decisions. And sometimes the team says, you know what, we would like to go this way, but we understand that we have to go this way because that makes the better product. Um, because there's a good relation between leadership and the team. And they can accept that sometimes, okay, maybe we get two points higher in Metacritic, but we sell a million more copies. And that ultimately... That, that pays us. Um, I grew up with the idea of that the number one thing you have to convince is the people who pay you. And, and first then the people who do the work. And I think nowadays it's almost a little bit the way around. And I think that is the biggest switch in our industry lately because we lost so many big companies and then Blizzard is just one of them, lost a lot of people because they, they, they've done a lot of core things went wrong. And we only know it from the outside, of course. Um, I think that's for me the, the core definition of, of a, of a, of a mm. successful team because without if a team hates each other, if they don't work well together, it's really difficult to make anything. It's also not enjoyable. I mean, we all joined the game industry, at least myself, because I want to be here. If I'm only surrounded by people I hate, then then I'm doing something horribly wrong myself. And and as a leader, my I would love to vanish for four weeks and nobody notices it. That that's my dream. And please don't tell my boss. But um, <laughs> so that that's sort of my, my my principal idea that we all set up everything so smoothly and so well. Um, but of course, it's not always exactly the case. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I see that's what you're the saying. vision I have for leadership. Yeah, basically become obsolete. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. So it's a really really good point. Uh, Philip, do you want to come in on that? Uh, yeah, for for me, um, I wanna I wanna just uh, uh, maybe quote a little bit uh, Satoru Iwata because like you know the the beloved president of Nintendo uh like he always said to have respect for others because like for him the whole point of a company is for regular people each with their distinctive characteristics to join forces and accomplish giant tasks they could not undertake alone and i think like without without uh you know without trust without respect you cannot really do that i like don't get me wrong you will still get 
you know, hard conversations. It's not like it's going to be all dandy and everybody's going to give each other high fives and all of that. But you can do it in a, in a, you know, in a, in a, like a human way, kind of like, and not evil way. You can, you can do it uh, with empathy. You don't have to, you know, shout out to people and, and, you know, who's gonna, who's gonna shout the loudest uh, in, in the room uh, that this is gonna be their, their idea. Um, and, and most of all, it like, you need to have a clear distinction on like who needs to be informed, who needs to give their input. And in the end, the person who needs to decide, right? Like it, it just cannot be kind of scattered around between, you know, five people and, and now let them, let them make the decision. Um, and that's why we have leads, right? Like that's, that's why we have all those heads and, and that's why we have uh, all those people to, in the end, after the input, after the conversations, to actually go with the decision and with the team to actually agree on the given, uh, you know, output that we're that we're uh, doing. So I think like this is this is something very important. And um, as as been mentioned, like I I've been in you know I've been in teams where it wasn't fun at all it, when when it was really like a contest, you know, who's gonna shout the loudest, who's gonna have you know. Uh, who's gonna steal other people's ideas and then tell them, you know, in the in the meeting um, and this kind of stuff? And it's 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 awful. Like it's it's never fun for anyone. Um, and and don't get me wrong, like this is still a job, right? Like so, it doesn't need to be fun uh, every day. But I still think uh, like you know, giving credit where credit is due, and at the same time, like being empathetic when it comes to the conversations that you're having. Um, like it 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 can work. Like, but again, like these conversations can be, you know, can be hard, but, but, uh, but they also can be humane. So I think uh, that's, that's, that's the takeaway. For yeah, no, really good points. Uh, ben, did you want to come back in on something Philip said? Yeah, I just wanted to, to say one quick thing. Also a little bit to what Tom said. One of the strongest friendship I got was not because we like each other originally. It's because we went through some really tough experiences. Um, we, so I can say the name. It was for Sultan back in, in um, Creative Budapest. And we didn't like each other at the beginning. We had a lot of friction between us. <laughs> but then we had one huge milestone. We had to get together. And we had to travel. And we had to really tough. It was really, everything was really tight. And we, we really started to trust each other. And at the end, we became really good friends. And I think you definitely can create these kind of experiences with friction at the beginning. It just how, depends how it ends and we don't have, I hope we don't have to all go to war in order to get these kind of friendships, but it, it definitely is possible. So it don't have to be all about flowers and rainbows. So <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Uh, Thomas, let's come to you. I think I have a slightly different perspective on this. Um, I think it depends on the purpose uh, or the initial goals. Um, one of the most inspirational women I work with in my life, I mean, she's fantastic. Um, in, in so many ways, she she would care more about the journey rather than the end goal, right? So she'd care very deeply about, you know, am I enjoying my path from here to here? Um, I'm not in many ways the same thing. Uh, I, I don't care if I suffer for a while. What I care more about is did I get to where I want to go? Um, did I achieve the things that I want to achieve? I mean, one of my strong goals is I want to genuinely want to create a social, a, a social the most modern, the new wave of social media where it is safer for kids, where it is more empowering for women, where more people can express themselves through gaming and have more of an impact and enjoy the gaming industry and all of the things that gaming and experience that you can have through that. And I'm, I'll be brutally honest, if I have a lot of conflict and bad experiences in the purpose of getting that to 100 million people, I'll take it. I don't really care about as much about the path as long as I get to the goal. And I know you brought up Musk earlier. Musk's goal was very simple. It was very straightforward. He said it very extremely. He wants to make a change where he wants to force the world to work to to start and begin a transition into using electric cars. That was his goal with Tesla. It was very clear. It was very open. I don't think he gave a rat's ass whether or not the team felt good doing it. As long as he achieves that, he doesn't didn't care which feet he stomped along the way. And my impression is that some people would care. I think that comes down to the initial, what is it? Like success can only really be measured on what was your goal in the beginning and what are your values along those way? And I think where people have a tendency of failing is that they bring in people who aren't the same. I think that is the end of the time, uh, the goal, where the goals and the purpose is not aligned to be the beginning. That's where that conflict happens. Because if everyone's pulling in the same direction, 
you know, you know that everybody has the premise was agreed upon. Right? Like we, we walked into this consensually. We want the same things. Uh, then whether or not it's that experience along the way that matters, or if it's the end result at the end of the rainbow that matters, or if it's just the legacy that matters, well, at least you wanted the same things and you're on the same page going into it. Mm. Um, now, obviously, nobody, I, I don't, I'm not encouraging create shitty working work environments in order to reach a goal. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that because the initial question was, you know, is the best decision a monetary decision versus a, a quality of the game decision? It comes back to my initial question. Well, you know, where are we on the same page? What is the goal? To make money? To have the blizzard approach for the record listen I, i'm a mmorpg player i cannot stand world of warcraft why because i i hate simplicity of mechanics i like complexity i don't like balanced i like i like flexibility and, and a lot of options which has a tendency of not working really well with overall balance it some people will just be significantly more powerful than others and others won't have a chance i prefer that type of game mechanics versus the blizzard one where it's much simpler and fair for everyone don't like it but there's no hiding that they've made the right choices uh, from a business perspective i mean they're the most successful mmorpg of all time by the standard of which they had but if you go by how i would have wanted it from a consumer perspective i want to source galaxies but from a business perspective with the goals they had that's not a successful game so so i think it, it depends on what do you want to do with this like what's your goal and mm. that defines what the right and wrong choices are. yeah really good point uh ben do you want to come back on on that uh, just very quickly um first of all i'm a big eve online player and i don't like WoW either so just to just to add this a little bit to about complexity <laughs> and I, I died the learning curve in eve online too multiple times um but i think where I have to disagree a little bit is I, I, I think it would be hard pressed to find people for the most noble goal on the planet by saying, well, some of you might die in the process. Um, I think the journey is part of it. And to find the right people for that journey, it's a little bit like, yeah, you might go into this bus and it drives you to the exact location you want to. This is come to my journey, come to this, to this ride. But maybe one or two of you people get kicked out along the way or die in the process, I said. So I think the journey is, is quite crucial, important to find the right people to get to the final goal. I think that's where we, we might differ a little bit in the, in the approach itself. I, I, yeah, I mean, I would highly disagree with that. Look at most military, uh, allied military forces in the world, and most people who serve in the military will say, I'm willing to put my line on the right here for the end goal, the greater goal. The goal is what care matters to me. And they make that sacrifice along the way. This is not, I mean, you've seen this in, in tons of different companies as well who make everything from food production to uh, mel uh, to medical uh, practice, like people who put test stuff on themselves and, and again to solve the goal. I mean, there, there are hundreds of thousands of proofs that people think that way, but it comes down to what I said earlier, people are different. You just need to make sure beforehand, are we on the same page? Is the I goal the what matters to you or is it the process? I think the most successful militaries are the ones where people actually volunteer to fight and give their life. I actually agree with that. Or the one they're forced. Oh, I, I never got said forced. So. I, I, or, or, or got tricked forcing. into it or misbelieved in these kind of things. So I, I definitely agree. If you actually know what you're getting into beforehand, all fair game. That's that's the fairness, which I think is, is crucial. Anything else, this is where it's getting fishy. And I think that's where not I every agree. company plays with the same transparency. <laughs> but I think that's the challenge, right? It's making sure that we are all on the same page, that you make an informed choice going into the journey about what the, what, like, are we on the same page on what we want here? Mm -hmm. Tom, do you, do you want to come in uh, just yeah. on that point? I just, it's a super interesting analogy, actually. It's not what I've heard before, but like, I, th I think a similar one that does, does the same stuff is, is looking at sports. Um, like, what are you prepared to sacrifice to win? And I don't mean playing dirty. I mean, sacrifice maybe in your private life in terms of you're doing so much training, you miss out on, say, relationships or you miss out on doing other jobs and learning other skill sets. Like, how far are you prepared to go to kind of put those hours in? Um, the sports team analogy is a really interesting one because people people do sacrifice a hell of a lot, including their health like later in life for certain things. Um but when you look at these extreme athletes and these extreme personalities and they they push the boundaries of like kind of what's capable. Um, and I know that that sounds a bit sort of hyperbolic to then like bring it back to video games, which is just a bit of having fun. But ultimately, like if you're going to push what's happening um, and sort of break through some of those barriers, like like what are you prepared to do? Um, but it's, it's really interesting hearing both sides of it. I, I think different people have got I mean, we don't all want to be pro athletes. Do you know what I mean? That's all there is to it. Mm. 
No, it's a, it's a really fascinating uh, conversation. Uh, Thomas, before we wrap up, go on, I'll give you last uh, last little bit. Yeah, I think, I think since, since we were on the topic of bosses earlier, I think that's the one thing that a lot of people don't keep in mind as well when you start a company. The amount of risk that you're that you have to take in most countries in order unless yourself like unless you have from previously like putting up like 10 million for example in 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 a potential loan or risk that you take up in order to take this gamble if you lose you're it's not like you have a social security net because you're at zero you're at a minus that you will never ever 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 get out of and i think a lot of people don't understand like the level of pressure and risk that comes with making those kind of choices and taking that gamble which is why that question is what are you prepared to gamble it applies even more heavily at least to founders not necessarily all bosses but at least the founders it's something that comes with that path and so you have the addition you have two risks which is you you feel exceptionally strongly about protecting your staff and your team and making sure that everyone is safe and it's something that you have to consider every single step of the way and then you know that if you fail that not only do you fail them and they're to at square zero but you're not even at zero you're, you're like you're so far into a minus that you'll never get out of it again mm. um so so the pro athletes is the same thing it, it, it's but that's you know it, that's a choice you make it, it's a consensual choice and it's your choice and i think that's the beauty of, of all of these things both in athletes and employment and bosses and founding and everything is go into it knowing what you go into yeah well it's uh it was a really good question uh tom obviously he's uh created a lot of discussion uh and all the questions have been fantastic as well so uh i will take this opportunity actually to to thank everyone for participating today so thank you tom ben thomas and philip for all the great questions and the great input uh, hopefully it's been really good for you guys to listen to and if anyone else does want to uh, join in the discussion or join another episode of the evolution exchange podcast please feel free to reach out to me but until then we'll see you next